Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Now, without further ado, my dear friend, here he is, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How are you doing today? I am good, my dear friend. Good. Beautiful day out there. It's it, nice. It, Harvest is oh, going on. Can you, you know? believe this weather? Oh, it's great for the farmers. I did a little research, and I think we have not had rain, though, since no. June. I believe it was like the 20th or something. Yeah, it's it's dry, but, you know, it's great for the farmers. They're not having to fight mud or anything like that. Yeah, so. but you know what? We do need some rain. We do. Yeah. We do. Yep. And so, we also need Dr. History. And that's where we're headed. Oh. We're going to go to Alaska. We're going north to Alaska. You keep taking me up there with, what was the guy north to Alaska? Johnny Horton. Johnny Horton. Johnny Horton. Yeah. I was going to get the words to that song, but I didn't get it. There you go. <laughs> good old Johnny Horton. You so, should bring it by and we'll play it while you're doing yeah, that. that's, that's yeah, that's good. I love old Johnny Horton. So 1896. Okay, that's when gold was found. In and that was also, by the way, congratulations, your birthday. Yeah, yeah isn't that ironic? <laughs> gold was found in the Klondike region of Canada's Yukon Territory. Now, the population of that area reached actually 30,000 in that whole area uh, at the peak of the gold rush. In the Klondike? Yeah. Really? And, of course, it was mostly the prospectors. Uh, and some realized how difficult this was going to be to the gold fields, and they chose to stay behind. And they actually did the best. They supplied goods and services to the miners. What was the draw to go up there Just in the, the gold. first place? Just gold. I know, but the gold, but, I mean, the cold and the and Just, the unknown and everything. Just gold. Wow. Going after gold. Okay. But within weeks, stores, saloons, offices lined the muddy streets of a town called Skagway. And that's kind of where we're going to go. Yeah. And the population was estimated at 8,000 residents during the spring of 1898. That's pretty big. And approximately 1,000 prospective miners passing through town every week headed for the for the gold field. And they needed goods and services. Yeah. So by June 1898, with a population between eight and 10,000, Skagway was the largest city in Alaska. Now, because of the sudden influx of visitors to Skagway, some of the town residents, like I said, started offering services to uh, help them in their journey, often at high rates for any way to, for the goods and did most of the people that left like here or other parts of the united states did they go with their own gear or did they all try to buy it up there well i think both I think oh. both. So, but between 1897 and 1898, Skagway was a lawless town, as described by one member of the Northwest Mounted Police as, quote, little better than hell on earth. There were fights, there was liquor all over the place, Skagway streets. There was a con man by the name of Soapy Smith who had kind of risen to power, and uh, Smith was a kind of a sophisticated swindler who liked to think of himself as kind and generous, and, and he was. He was actually gracious to some, giving money to widows and stopping people from getting hung. But <laughs> during all this, he was operating a ring of thieves who swindled prospectors with cards, dice, and the shell game. Now, get this, Zeb. He had a telegraph office. He charged $5 to send a message anywhere in the world. Uh, and the little shack that he used had a wire that went out through the forest for maybe 
uh, half a mile, and that's where it ended. So you don't say. And uh, so there was no uh, telegraph going to the states. Either now, why, to or from. why didn't when he was found out? Why didn't the oh, he, locals? Uh, he, he ended badly. I'll just say that we're not going to go. Actually, I told his story a while. Back. I remember that. Yeah. He didn't get shot though. No, did he? Um, I can't remember exactly. It's but he ended up in a bad way. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is a bad. <laughs> that way. That is a bad way. Well, you know, the prospector's journey began for a lot of them when they climbed the mountains over the White Pass above Skagway and onward across the Canada-U.S. border to a lake called. Bennett Lake, or maybe one of its others, and there they would build barges and float down the Yukon River to get to Dawson City, where the gold fields are. And this is in 1896? Now, the officials in Canada began requiring that each prospector entering Canada on the north side of the White Pass bring with him one ton, 2,000 pounds, and for uh, it's 909 kilograms of supplies, but 2,000 uh, pounds. But and they because they made them do this to ensure that they didn't starve during the winter, and so this placed a big burden on these prospectors trying to get over to the Klondike. Each person, each person, 2,000 pounds. And here's what one uh, uh, Klondiker said, quote, It was a superhuman effort to transport those thousands of pounds up that narrow, slippery, rocky trail of the pass through boulder-strewn canyons across swampy bottomlands. Now, from Skagway, and I'm going to tell you folks, if you ever get to Skagway, there's a little museum, and you can go inside there, and they have a display showing what 2,000 pounds of gear would look like. Well, just envision packing a ton of hay. Oh, yeah. And you've got to do this just a, a little bit at a time. So, oh, my But the 26-mile trail over Chilkoot Pass was steep. It was hazardous. Uh, most of the stampeders who gave, gave up did so trying to cross the mountains. They just got to where they said, I'm done. But in the winter, these stampeders struggled in blizzards, snow, cold temperatures, avalanches. There was actually an avalanche that took out a bunch of them. Uh, the trail went up about 1,000 feet in the final half mile, and stampeders climbed what they called the Golden Staircase. And I've got a picture I'll show you here in a minute, Zeb. Have they ever done a movie on that? Not that I know of. But there was a golden staircase, 1,500 steps cut in the snow and ice, and they had a guide rope, and stampeders would stack their outfits uh, when they got up the top. Then they'd go back down, get some more, come back up. And there was a man that charged a toll for going up the golden staircase. And if you stepped out of line to rest, it might be an hour or two hours before you could get back in line. Okay, but what about your goods down at the bottom of the hill? Okay, we're going to get to that. Oh. <laughs> so to move one outfit over the pass, the stampeders packed and cached their goods up to 40 times and hiked up to 1,000 miles. Uh, the train on the last four miles of the trail was too rough for pack animals, and there was discarded supplies, littered the trail, as they, they just got rid of the stuff they really didn't okay. Okay, now I want to get this straight now. They they go so far up. Right. And then they drop their goods off. And go back and get some more. And then go back and get some more. Bring it up, and then go back and get some more. Just piggyback it, piggyback it, up and back, up how, and back. How in the world did one man take care of all they, that? They didn't. That's that's where things got a little hairy. Okay. The best thing you could do is partner up with, say, four or five guys. Because if you didn't, when you got back to your uh, gear, one end or the other, it might be gone. Gone. Yeah. It may be stolen. And that's kind of lead us into our story today. Oh. <laughs> All right. Now, the plot thickens. It does. But 
you know, they say that no one can really describe the hardships endured by these early gold rushers that traveled this Chilkoot Pass. Uh, now, they, there were some pack animals, um, but they basically rode them into the ground till they, they were gone. They were dead. Didn't you tell me at one time we were talking about the Klondike and everything that uh, there were, I hate to sound gruesome, but literally bodies upon bodies of dead horses yeah. and mules and yeah. everything? And some actually, they think, even actually committed suicide by stepping off the trail and just tumbling down to the bottom of the hill. Wow. So, okay, this is a story about murder on the Chilkoot. Oh. All right? So, anyone who ever carried as much as one pound over the Chilkoot Pass Trail on the way to the Klondike during the gold rush of 1897-98, uh, they were pretty touchy about their supplies. And if those supplies happened to be stolen after a prospector had carried them so far, bad news for the thief if he was caught. Okay? Now, there's a man named Hansen. And he was flogged on Chilkoot Pass, and his partner, Wellington, committed suicide. Now, let me keep going here. You're going to have to decide if he really committed suicide. Mm. Or was he gunned down? So here's what happened. These two guys were nabbed in February 1898 by a group of miners and charged with the theft uh, from a cache at, uh, along the trail. Both men were transients on the trail with little to identify them other than their names. There was a man called Dean who was also arrested, but Wellington and Hansen were the ones uh, that were going to go on trial here. Mm, All right, mm. Wellington and Hansen. Wellington and Hansen. So the trial was really just a meeting of a group of men selected to hear the evidence and make the final sentence. Time was of the essence, and during the gold rush, and miners weren't prone to hang around over legal technicalities. They just wanted to get things over and done. They didn't hang around. Well, Wellington's turn came up after, uh, uh, and he wasn't so lucky. When he saw, now picture this, Zeb, this is a little weird. When he saw that he would be found guilty, he bolted from the miners and ran down the Chilkoot Trail. So we weren't in a building. We weren't in a Oh, they were outside. Yeah, they were outside having this this trial. Right on the trail. Yeah. So he jumped up and took off running down the trail. Well, the Skagway News printed what followed as they heard it. It was straightforward reporting. It said, uh, but what was left unsaid points to the probability that the miners probably killed Wellington on the trail and covered it up with the story that he took off running. Okay, so let me keep going here. The miners said they were completely surprised by Wellington's dash for freedom and that for an instant not a shot was fired in this direction. Finally, someone recovered enough to fire a shot over his head. Wellington turned around, fired back at the miners, uh, and they dropped down to the snow. They didn't want to get shot. So Wellington started to run again, and the miners reported that before he had gone many yards, he put his revolver to his head and killed himself. He dropped in his track, stone dead, according to the newspaper. According to the newspaper. Okay, so let's keep going here, Zeb. Yeah. Okay. I'm trying to envision what this trail looked like. Just, well, I'll show you a picture here okay. in a minute. Okay, so now... What one uh, leads you to wonder if Wellington had been captured in, and given a trial, why was he allowed to keep his gun? Yeah, it was Number the first one. question I had. Okay. 
Now, uh, or if he had a good start running down the trail, why did he suddenly turn around and shoot himself? I mean, he was getting away. He was running. Yeah. So it may have been, of course, because he was afraid of the punishment he was going to receive, or it might have been that Wellington never ran anywhere but was shot right on the spot by the miners. Yeah, I think. That makes a little more sense. And more than likely, in this case, they killed Wellington and did not want to get into an argument with the authorities over the legality, quote, I guess, of the matter. So events uh, which happened later tend to substantiate this theory that they probably just shot him. You know, get it over with. I, I just, I, I hate to bother you, but this is so interesting to me. You said that they had to bring all this gear. Right. Okay. Now, with all the literally thousands of miners that were making this trek up this hillside, where did they store all the gear? Did they have they just, big... No, they just stacked it in a pile. But they had to be stacking it on top of other people's equipment. Well, they just had to find a spot somewhere off the trail. Wow. Just stack it. So let, let me continue with this. Wellington is dead now. Oh, right? yeah, he's, he's gone he's to the gone. great snowball yeah. in the sky. So Hanson, the other guy, they were all set to hang him uh, from one of the poles of the tramway. And uh, when someone suggested it might be better just to flog the man. Okay. So one miner said, uh, this would set an example to other would-be thieves if we just whipped this guy. Yeah. So that's what they decided to do. They got a guy that was willing to, didn't hesitate to want to whip this guy, and they started beating this guy on the back. Welch got his back. I mean, it was horrible. I mean, blood, and it was bad. And what's interesting is Hanson, the guy being whipped, never said a word. And after 15 lashes had been given, a doctor checked his pulse and nodded that the whipping could continue. He was still alive. Well, so, how many, how many uh, whips or welts was he supposed to get? I don't know. At this point, uh, after they got done, Hanson was untied. He was fed a hearty meal, but they had a placard made for him to carry, one on the front and one on the back. The one on his chest read, I am a thief, and the other read, pass me along. Well, two guards were sent with Hanson for the walk out to Skagway. Surprisingly enough, the two guards were actually arrested by U.S. officials, and this was uh, followed by orders for the men who had imposed the punishment to come to turn themselves in. Well, they're on their way to the gold fields. They're not going to turn around and go back yeah, to Skagway. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that's that's kind of the end of that story. But, you know, there's a poem that I love. Whatever happened to Hanson, by the way? I don't know. I don't know. He just kind of disappeared. Well, you know, being flogged like that, I mean, the infection, and, yeah. and how did he, I mean, holy smokes, we're talking. Yeah, he was in bad shape. Yeah. So, now, Zeb, have you ever heard the poem, The Cremation of Sam McGee? No, it's not on my required reading list. <laughs> well, it should be. Okay. <laughs> it should. I read this years and years ago as a kid. And I, anyway. It's called The What? The Cremation of Sam McGee. How long is it? Not very long. Okay. We'll, I we'll can't, get it in. Well, I can't we, wait. We've got time. Okay. But let me just tell you, Zeb, I am not, I've turned into a not a cold person. Uh, you know, I've, I've been hunting uh, in the mountains where the snow's up to the horse's belly and yeah. camping and sleeping out. And, you know, I thought it was great when I was younger, but nowadays, uh, you know. You and I are quite a bit the same. <laughs> okay. You know, uh, looking south is always a brighter horizon. Yes. Okay. Now, this is a poem uh, written by a guy by the name of Robert W. Service. Are you ready for this? I Ed? am. Absolutely. 
Okay, there are strange things done in the midnight sun by the men who moil for gold. The Arctic trails have their secret tales that would make your blood run cold. The northern lights have seen queer sights, but the queerest they ever did see was that night on the marge of Lake LaBarge, I cremated Sam McGee. Uh Now, Sam McGee was from Tennessee, where the cotton blooms and blows. Why he left his home in the south to roam round the pole, God only knows. He was always cold, but the land of gold seemed to hold him like a spell, though he'd often say in his homely way that he'd sooner live in hell. On Christmas Day, we were mushing our way over the Dawson Trail. Talk of your cold. Through the parka's fold, it stabbed like a driven nail. Mm. If our eyes we'd closed, then the lashes froze till sometimes we couldn't see. It wasn't much fun, but the only one to whimper was Sam McGee. And that very night, as we lay packed tight in our robes beneath the snow, and the dogs were fed and the stars overhead were dancing heel and toe, he turned to me and, Cap, he says, I'll cash in this trip, I guess. And if I do, I'm asking that you won't refuse my last request. Well, he seems to loathe that I couldn't say no. Then he says with a sort of a moan, It's the cursed cold, and it's got right hold till I'm chilled clean through to the bone. Yet taint being dead, it's my awful dread of the icy grave that pains. So I want you to swear that foul or fair, you'll cremate my last remains. Oh, this is Sam talking. Yeah. A pal's last need is a thing to heed, so I swore I would not fail. And we started on at the streak of dawn, but gosh, he looked awfully pale. He crouched on the sleigh, and he raved all day of his home in Tennessee. And before nightfall, a corpse was all that was left of Sam McGee. Mm. There wasn't a breath in that land of death, and I hurried, horror-driven, with a corpse half-hid that I couldn't get rid because of a promise given. It was lashed to the sleigh, and it seemed to say, You may tax your brawn and brains, but you promise true, and it's up to you to cremate those last remains. Now a promise made is a debt unpaid, and the trail has its own stern code. In the days to come, though my lips were dumb, in my heart, how I cursed that load. In the long, long night, by the lone firelight, while the huskies round in a ring, howled out their woes to the homeless snows. Oh, gosh, I loathe the thing. And every day that quiet clay seemed to heavy and heavier grow. And on I went, through the, though the dogs were spent, and the grub was getting low. The trail was bad, and I felt half mad, but I swore I would not give in. And I'd often sing in the grateful thing, and it hearkened with a grin. Till I came to the marge of Lake LaBarge, and a derelict there lay. It was jammed in the eyes, but I saw in a trice it was called the Alice May. And I looked at it, and I thought a bit, and I looked at my frozen chum. Then here, said I, with a sudden cry, is my crematorium. Some planks I, I, love the, I love the way the words flow. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Some planks I tore from the cabin floor, and I lit the boiler fire. Some cold I found that was lying around, and I heaped the fuel higher. The flames just soared, and the furnace roared. Such a blaze you seldom see. And I buried a hole in the glowing coal, and I stuffed in Sam McGee. Then I made a hike, for I didn't like to hear him sizzle so. Oh, and the heavens... <laughs> And the heavens scowled, and the huskies howled, and the wind began to blow. Crispy critters! Yeah. It was icy cold, but the hot sweat rolled down my cheeks, and I don't know why. And the greasy smoke and the inky cloak went streaking down the sky. 
I do not know how long in the snow I wrestled with grisly fear, but the stars came out and they danced about ere again I ventured near. I was sick with dread, but I bravely said, I'll just take a peep inside. I guess he's cooked, and it's time I looked. Then the door I opened wide, and there sat Sam, looking cool and calm in the heart of the furnace roar. And he wore a smile, you could see a mile, and he said, Please close that door. <laughs> he says, it's fine in here, but I greatly fear you'll let in the cold and storm. Since I left Plumtree down in Tennessee, it's the first time I've been warm. Oh. There are strange things done in the midnight sun, but the men who moil for gold, the Arctic trails have their secret tales that would make your blood run cold. The northern lights have seen queer sights, but the queerest they ever did see was that night on the marge of Lake LaBarge, I cremated Sam McGee. Oh, poor Sam McGee. You know, what I was thinking of during that poem, it reminded me of the portion of the movie Lonesome Dove where uh, the colonel took back uh, Gus back to oh, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. But he didn't have to cremate him because I, I, of the cold. I always I always liked that poem. Yeah. I don't know why. Maybe because it's gruesome and cold. <laughs> well, you spiteful old man, you. <laughs> hey, Good story, always. We have a quick, uh, quick caller, I guess, with a comment. Stand by. Caller, real fast. we got one minute, real fast. There was a movie, a James Stewart movie, a long, long time ago. It's called The Far Country uh, that shows the trail and all. And then, of course, John Wayne's north to Alaska, but not necessarily the trail. And over 3,000 horses died there, and they used uh, goats, donkeys, dogs, even dehorned reindeer for pack animals. You know what? Now that you mention that, that movie about James Stewart, I remember that. Thank you very much for your call. Have a great day. Thank you. She's right. Yes. I remember that. Yeah, we did a story a while back about, uh, I think we call it Dead Horse uh, Pass or yeah, Bike Pass, and talked about like the that. animals yeah. that were just driven and There driven. couldn't have been any forage or anything for no, them. No, that was the problem. They did, they couldn't feed them, really. Oh, my And they just goodness. ran them till they dropped dead. Oh, my. So. Well, you did it again, Doc. What are we going to talk about next week? That's, I'm sure you have it planned. I do. Are you going to be here next week? Yes, I'll be here next week. Okay. Yep. Very important day. Yes, it is. It is. And I'll be there. Okay. I'll be here. <laughs> Wherever I need to be, that's where I'll All be. All right, good. Dr. History. I, I had somebody that called the other night from, um, oh, my goodness, was it Missouri? No. Indiana. And they listen. Oh, is that right? Every week. And uh, they wanted to say hello to you. Well, that's great. I appreciate comments from the, from the listeners. Yeah. Anybody. That's great. All Thank right. You. Take care of yourself.